0: Chapter Six of Studies of Trees by J. J. Levison. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by K. Hand. Chapter Six: The Care of Trees. Study One: Insects injurious to trees and how to combat them. In a general way, trees are attacked by three classes of insects, and the remedy to be employed in each case depends upon the class to which the insect belongs. The three classes of insects are one those that chew and swallow some portion of the leaf as for example the elm leaf beetle and the tussock gypsy and brown tail moths two those that suck the plant juices from the leaf or bark such as the san jose scale oyster shell and scurfy scales the cottony maple scale the maple phenococcus on the sugar maples and the various aphides on beech norway maples etc three those that bore inside of the wood or inner bark The principal members of this class are the leopard moth, the hickory bark borer, the sugar maple borer, the elm borer, and the bronze birch borer. The chewing insects are destroyed by spraying the leaves with arsenate of lead or Paris green. The insects feed upon the poisoned foliage and thus are themselves poisoned. The sucking insects are killed by a contact poison, that is, by spraying or washing the affected parts of the tree with a solution which acts externally on the bodies of the insects, smothering or stifling them the standard solutions for this purpose are kerosene emulsion soap and water tobacco extract or lime sulphur wash the boring insects are eliminated by cutting out the insect with a knife by injecting carbon bisulphide into the burrow and clogging the orifice immediately after injection with putty or soap or in some cases where the tree is hopelessly infested by cutting down and burning the entire tree For information regarding the one of these three classes to which any particular insects belong, and for specific instructions on the application of a remedy, the reader is advised to write to his state entomologist or to the U.S. Bureau of Entomology at Washington, D.C. The letter should state the name of the tree affected, together with the character of the injury, and should be accompanied by a specimen of the insect or by a piece of the affected leaf or bark, preferably by both. The advice received will be authentic and will be given without charge. When to spray in the case of chewing insects the latter part of may is the time to spray the caterpillars hatch from their eggs and the elm leaf beetle leaves its winter quarters at that time in the case of sucking insects the instructions will have to be more specific depending upon the particular insect in question some sucking insects can best be handled in may or early june when their young emerge others can be effectively treated in the fall or winter when the trees are dormant how to spray thoroughness is the essential principle in all spraying in the case of leaf-eating insects, this means covering every leaf with the poison and applying it to the underside of the leaves where the insects generally feed. In the case of sucking insects, thoroughness means an effort to touch every insect with the spray. It should be borne in mind that the insect can be killed only when hit with the chemical. The solution should be well stirred and should be applied by means of a nozzle that will coat every leaf with a fine mist-like spray. Mere drenching or too prolonged an application will cause the solution to run off special precautions should be taken with contact poisons to see that the formula is correct too strong a solution will burn the foliage and tender bark spraying apparatus there are various forms of spraying apparatus in the market including small knapsack pumps barrel hand pumps and gasoline and gas powered sprayers hoses and nozzles are essential accessories one-half inch three-ply hose of the best quality is necessary to stand the heavy pressure and wear Two fifty-foot lengths is the usual quantity required for use with a barrel hand pump. Each line of hose should be supplied with a bamboo pole ten feet long, having a brass tube passed through it to carry the nozzle. The vermorial nozzle is the best type to use. The cost of a barrel outfit, including two lines of hose, nozzles, and truck, should be from thirty to forty dollars. Power sprayers cost from one hundred fifty to three hundred dollars or more. Spraying material. Arsenate of lead should be used in the proportion of 4 pounds of the chemical to 50 gallons of water. A brand of arsenate of lead containing at least 14% of arsenic oxide with not more than 50% of water should be insisted upon. This spray may be used successfully against caterpillars and other leaf-eating insects in the spring or summer. Whale oil soap should be used at the rate of 1.5 pounds of the soap to 1 gallon of hot water if applied to the tree in winter. As a spray in summer use one pound of the soap to five gallons of water this treatment is useful for most sucking insects lime sulfur wash is an excellent material to use against sucking insects such as the San Jose scale and other armored scales the application of a lime sulfur wash when put on during the dormant season is not likely to harm a tree and has such an excellent cleansing effect that the benefits to be derived in this direction alone are often sufficient to meet the cost of the treatment Lime-sulphur wash consists of a mixture, boiled one hour, of 40 pounds of lime and 80 pounds of sulfur in 50 gallons of water. It may be had in prepared form and should then be used at a rate of one gallon to about nine gallons of water in winter or early spring before the buds open. At other times of the year, and for the softer-bodied insects, a more diluted measure, possibly one part to 30 or 40 parts of water, should be used, varying with each case separately. Kerosene emulsion consists of one half pound of hard soap, one gallon of boiling water, and two gallons of kerosene. It may be obtained in prepared form and is then to be used at the rate of one part of the solution to nine parts of water when applied in winter or to the bark only in summer. Use two gallons of the solution to a 40-gallon barrel of water when applying it to the leaves in the summer. Kerosene emulsion is useful as a treatment for scale insects. Tobacco water should be prepared by steeping one-half pound of tobacco stems or leaves in a gallon of boiling water and later diluting the product with five to ten gallons of water. It is particularly useful for plant lice in the summer. The Life History of an Insect In a general way, all insects have four stages of transformation before a new generation is produced. It is important to consider the nature of these four stages in order that the habits of any particular insect and the remedies applicable in combating it may be understood all insects develop from eggs the eggs then hatch into caterpillars or grubs which is the larva stage in which most insects do the greatest damage to trees the caterpillars or grubs grow and develop rapidly and hence their feeding is most ravenous following the larva stage comes the third or pupa stage which is the dormant stage of the insect in this stage the insect curls itself up under the protection of a silken cocoon like the tussock moth or of a curled leaf, like the brown tail moth, or it may be entirely unsheltered, like the pupa of the elm-leaf beetle. After the pupa stage comes the adult insect, which may be a moth or a beetle. A study of the four stages of any particular insect is known as a study of its life history. The important facts to know about the life history of an insect are the stage in which it does most of its feeding, and the period of the year in which this occurs. It is also important to know how the insect spends the winter in order to decide upon a winter treatment important insects the elm leaf beetle Life history The elm leaf beetle is annually causing the defoliation of thousands of elm trees throughout the United States Several successive defoliations are liable to kill a tree The insects pass the winter in the beetle form hiding themselves in attics and wherever else they can secure shelter in the middle of May when the buds of the elm trees unfold the beetles emerge from their winter quarters mate and commence eating the leaves thus producing little holes through them while this feeding is going on the females deposit little bright yellow eggs on the underside of the leaves which soon hatch into small larvae or grubs the grubs then eat away the soft portion of the leaf causing it to look like lacework the grubs become full grown in 20 days crawl down to the base of the tree and there transform into naked orange colored pupa this occurs in the early part of August after remaining in the pupa stage about a week they change into beetles again which either begin feeding or go to winter quarters remedies there are three ways of combating this insect first by spraying the foliage with arsenic of lead in the latter part of May while the beetles are feeding and repeating the spraying in June when the larva emerge the spraying method is one of the most to be relied on in fighting this insect a second the less important remedy consists in destroying the pupil when they gather in large quantities at the base of the tree this may be accomplished by gathering them bodily and destroying them or by pouring hot water or a solution of kerosene over them in large trees it may be necessary to climb to the crotches of the main limbs to get some of them the third remedy lies in gathering and destroying the adult beetles when found in their winter quarters The application of bands of burlap or tanglefoot or of other substances often seen on the trunks of elm trees is useless since these bands only prevent the larva from crawling down from the leaves to the base and serve to prevent nothing from crawling up scraping the trunks of elm trees is also a waste of effort the tussock moth life history this insect appears in the form of a red-headed yellow colored caterpillar during the latter part of May and in June and July the caterpillars surround themselves with silken cocoons and change into pupa. the mature moths emerge from the cocoons after a period of about two weeks and the females which are wingless soon deposit their eggs on the bark of trees on twigs fences and other neighboring objects these eggs form white clusters of nearly three hundred fifty individual eggs each and are very conspicuous all winter remedies there are two ways of combating this insect one by spraying with arsenic of lead for the caterpillars during the latter part of may and early june 2 by removing and destroying the egg masses in the fall or winter the gypsy moth life history this insect imported from europe to this country in 1868 has ever since proved a serious enemy of most shade forest and fruit trees in the new england states it even feeds on evergreens killing the trees by a single defoliation the insect appears in the caterpillar stage from april to july it feeds at night and rests by day the mature caterpillar which is dark in color may be recognized by rows of blue and red spots along its back after july egg masses are deposited by the female moths on the bark of trees and on leaves fences and other neighboring objects here they remain over the winter until they hatch in the spring the flat egg masses are round or oval in shape and are yellowish brown in color remedies spray for the caterpillars in june with arsenate of lead and apply creosote to the egg masses whenever found The brown tail moth. Life history. This insect was introduced here from Europe in eighteen ninety and has since done serious damage to shade forest and fruit trees and to shrubs in the New England states. It appears in the caterpillar stage in the early spring and continues to feed on the leaves and buds until the last of June. Then the caterpillars pupate, the moths come out, and in July and August the egg clusters appear. These hatch into caterpillars which form nests for themselves by drawing the leaves together. Here they remain protected until the spring. Remedies collect the winter nests from October to April and burn them also spread the trees for caterpillars in early May and especially in August with arsenate of lead The fall webworm, the caterpillars of this insect congregate in colonies and surround themselves with a web which often reaches the size of a foot or more in Diameter these webs are common on trees in July and August cutting off the webs or burning them on the twigs is the most practical remedy the leopard moth life history this insect does its serious damage in the grub form the grubs which are whitish in color with brown heads and which vary in size from three-eighths of an inch to three inches in length may be found boring in the wood of the branches and trunk of the tree all winter the leopard moth requires two years to complete its round of life the mature moths are marked with dark spots resembling a leopard skin hence the name it is one of the commonest and most destructive insects in the east and is responsible for the recent death of thousands of famous elm trees in new haven and boston Remedies Trees likely to be infested with this insect should be examined three or four times a year for wilted twigs dead branches and strings of expelled frass All of which may indicate the presence of this borer Badly infested branches should be cut off and burned trees so badly infested that the treatment becomes too complicated should be cut down and destroyed Where the insects are few and can be readily reached an injection of carbon bisulphide into the burrow the orifice of which is then immediately closed with soap or putty Will often destroy the insects with them? the hickory bark borer life history this insect is a small black or brown beetle in its mature form and a small legless white grub in its winter stage the beetles appear from june to august in july they deposit their eggs in the outer sapwood immediately under the bark of the trunk and larger branches the eggs soon hatch and the grubs feed on the living tissue of the tree forming numerous galleries the grubs pass the winter in a nearly full-grown condition transform into pupa in may and emerge as beetles in june remedies The presence of the insect can be detected by the small holes in the bark of trees and the fine sawdust which is ejected from these holes when the insects are active. It is important to emphasize the advisability of detecting the fine sawdust because that is the best indication of the actual operations of the hickory bark borer. These holes, however, will not be noticeable until the insect has completed its transformation. In summer, the infested trees show wilted leaves and many dead twigs holes in the base of the petioles of these leaves are also signs of the working of the insect since the insect works underneath the bark it is inaccessible for treatment and all infested trees should be cut down and burned or the bark removed and the insects destroyed this should be done before the beetles emerge from the tree in june Plant lice or aphides these often occur on the underside of the leaves of the beech norway maple tulip tree etc they excrete a sweet sticky liquid called honeydew and cause the leaves to curl or drop spraying with whale oil soap solution formed by adding one pound of the soap to five gallons of water is the remedy study two tree diseases because trees have wants analogous to those of human beings they also have diseases similar to those which afflict human beings in many cases these diseases act like cancerous growths upon the human body In some instances, the ailment may be a general failing due to improper feeding, and in other cases it may be due to interference with the life processes of the tree. How to tell an ailing tree Whatever the cause, an ailing tree will manifest its ailment by one or more symptoms. A change of color in the leaves at a time when they should be perfectly green indicates that the tree is not growing under normal conditions, possibly because of an insufficiency of moisture or light or an overdose of foreign grasses or salts withering of the leaves is another sign of irregularity in water supply dead tops point to some difficulty in the soil conditions or to some disease of the roots or branches spotted leaves and mushroom like growths or brackets protruding from the bark are sure signs of disease in attempting to find out whether a tree is healthy or not one would therefore do well to consider whether the conditions under which it is growing are normal or not whether the tree is suitable for the location whether the soil is too dry or too wet whether the roots are deprived of their necessary water and air by an impenetrable cover of concrete or soil whether the soil is well drained and free from foreign gases and salts whether the tree is receiving plenty of light or is too much exposed and whether it is free from insects and fungi if after a thorough examination it is found that the ailment has gone too far it may not be wise to save the tree a timely removal of a tree badly infested with insects or fungi may often be the best procedure and may save many neighboring trees from contagious infection for this however no rules can be laid down and much will depend on the local conditions and the judgment and knowledge of the person concerned fungi as factors of disease the trees the shrubs and the flowers with which we are familiar are rooted in the ground and derive their food both from the soil and from the air there is however another group of plants the fungi the roots of which grow in trees and other plants and which obtain their food entirely from the trees or plants upon which they grow the fungi cannot manufacture their own food as other plants do and consequently absorb the food of their host eventually reducing it to dust the fungi are thus disease producing factors and the source of most of the diseases of trees when we can see fungi growing on a tree we may safely assume that they are already in an advanced state of development we generally discover their presence when their fruiting bodies appear on the surface of the tree these fruiting bodies are the familiar mushrooms puffballs toadstools, or shelf-like brackets that one often sees on trees in some cases they spread over the surface of the wood in thin patches they vary in size from large bodies to mere pustules barely visible to the naked eye their variation in color is also significant ranging from colorless to black and red but never green they often emulate the color of the bark radiating from these fruiting bodies into the tissue of the tree are a large number of minute fibers comprising the maliceum of the fungus these fibers penetrate the body of the tree in all directions and absorb its food the mycelium is the most important part of the fungus growth if the fruiting body is removed soon another takes its place but if the entire mycelium is cut out the fungus will never come back the fruiting body of the fungus bears the seed or spores these spores are carried by the wind or insects to other trees where they take root in some wound or crevice of the bark and start a new infestation the infestation will be favored in its growth if the spore can find plenty of food water warmth and darkness as these conditions generally exist in wounds and cavities of trees it is wise to keep all wounds well covered with coal tar and to so drain the cavities that moisture cannot lodge in them this subject will be gone into more fully in the following two studies on pruning trees and tree repair while the majority of the fungi grow on the trunks and limb of trees some attack the leaves some the twigs and others the roots some fungi grow on living wood some on dead wood and some on both those that attack the living trees are the most dangerous from the standpoint of disease the chestnut disease the disease which is threatening the destruction of all the chestnut trees in america is a fungus which has within recent years assumed such vast proportions that it deserves special comment the fungus is known as diaporthae parasitica mural and was first observed in the vicinity of new york in 1905 at that time only a few trees were known to have been killed by this disease but now the disease has advanced over the whole chestnut area in the united states reaching as far south as virginia and as far west as buffalo figure 111 shows the result of the chestnut disease the fungus attacks the cambium tissue underneath the bark it enters through a wound in the bark and sends its fungus threads from the point of infection all around the trunk until the latter is girdled and killed this may all happen within one season it is not until the tree has practically been destroyed that the disease makes its appearance on the surface of the bark in the form of brown patches studded with little pustules that carry the spores When once girdled the tree is killed above the point of infection and everything above dies while some of the twigs below may live until they are attacked individually by the disease or until the trunk below their origin is infected all species of chestnut trees are subject to the disease the japanese and spanish varieties appear to be highly resistant but are not immune other species of trees besides chestnuts are not subject to the disease there is no remedy or preventative for this disease From the nature of its attack, which is on the inner layer of the tree, it is evident that all applications of fungicides, which must necessarily be applied to the outside of the tree, will not reach the disease. Injections are impossible, and other suggested remedies, such as boring holes in the wood for the purpose of inserting chemicals, are futile. The wood of the chestnut tree, within three or four years after its death, is still sound and may be used for telephone and telegraph poles, posts, railroad ties, lumber, and firewood. Spraying for Fungus Diseases where a fungus disease is attacking the leaves fruit or twigs spraying with bordeaux mixture may prove effective the application of bordeaux mixture is deterrent rather than remedial and should therefore be made immediately before the disease appears the nature of the disease and the time of the treatment can be determined without cost by submitting specimens of affected portions of the plant for analysis and advice to the state agricultural experiment station or to the united states department of agriculture Bordeaux mixture, the standard fungicide material, consists of a solution of six pounds of copper sulfate, blue vitriol, with four pounds of slaked lime and 50 gallons of water. It may be purchased in prepared form in the open market, and when properly made has a brilliant sky-blue color. Spraying with Bordeaux mixture should be done in the fall, early spring, or early summer, but never during the period when the trees are in bloom. Study 3. Pruning Trees Fundamental Principles trees are very much like human beings in their requirements mode of life and diseases and the general principles applicable to the care of one are equally important to the intelligent treatment of the other the removal of limbs from trees as well as from human beings must be done sparingly and judiciously wounds in both trees and human beings must be disinfected and dressed to keep out all fungus or disease germs fungus growths of trees are similar to human cancers both in the manner of their development and the surgical treatment which they require improper pruning will invite fungi and insects to the tree hence the importance of a knowledge of fundamental principles in this branch of tree care time too much pruning at one time should never be practised and no branch should be removed from a tree without good reason for so doing dead and broken branches should be removed as soon as observed regardless of any special pruning season because they are dangerous unsightly and carry insects and disease into the heart of the tree but all other pruning whether it be for the purpose of perfecting the form in shade trees or for increasing the production of fruit in orchard trees should be confined to certain seasons shade and ornamental trees can best be pruned in the fall while the leaves are still on the tree and while the tree itself is in practically a dormant state proper cutting all pruning should be commenced at the top of the tree and finished at the bottom a shortened branch excepting in poplars and willows which should be cut in closely should terminate in small twigs which may draw the sap to the freshly cut wound where a branch is removed entirely the cut should be made close and even with the trunk Wherever there is a stub left after cutting off a branch, the growing tissue of the tree cannot cover it and the stub eventually decays, falls out, and leaves a hole, which serves to carry disease and insects to the heart of the tree. This idea of close cutting cannot be overemphasized. Where large branches have to be removed, the splitting and ripping of the bark along the trunk is prevented by making one cut beneath the branch about a foot or two away from the trunk, and then another above, close to the trunk. Too Severe Pruning In pruning trees, many people have a tendency to cut them back so severely as to remove everything but the bare trunk and a few of the main branches. This process is known as heading back. It is a method, however, which should not be resorted to except in trees that are very old and failing, and even there only with certain species, like the silver maple, sycamore, linden, and elm. Trees like the sugar maple will not stand this treatment at all. The willow is a tree that will stand the process very readily, and the Carolina poplar must be cut back every few years in order to keep its crown from becoming too tall, scraggy, and unsafe. Covering wounds. The importance of immediately covering all wounds with coal tar cannot be overstated. If the wound is not tarred, the exposed wood cracks, providing suitable quarters for disease germs that will eventually destroy the body of the tree. Coal tar is by far preferable to paint and other substances for covering the wound. The tar penetrates the exposed wood, producing an antiseptic as well as protective effect. Paint only forms a covering which may peel off in course of time and which will later protrude from the cut thus forming between the paint and the wood a suitable breeding place for the development of destructive fungi or disease the application of tin covers burlap or other bandages to the wound is equally futile and in most cases even injurious special considerations pruning shade trees here the object is to produce a symmetrical crown and to have the lowest branches raised from the ground sufficiently high to enable pedestrians to pass under with raised umbrellas Such pruning should, therefore, necessarily be light and confined to the low limbs and dead branches. Pruning Lawn Trees Here the charms of the tree lie in the low reach of the branches and the compactness of the crown. The pruning should, therefore, be limited to the removal of dead and diseased branches only. Pruning Forest Trees Forest trees have a greater commercial value when their straight trunks are free from branches. In the forest, nature generally accomplishes this result and artificial pruning seldom has to be resorted to. Trees in the forest grow so closely together that they shut out the sunlight from their lower limbs, thus causing the latter to die and fall off. This is known as natural pruning in some European forests, nature is assisted in its pruning by workmen who saw off the side branches before they fall of their own accord, but in this country such practice would be considered too expensive, hence it is seldom adopted tools used in pruning. Good tools are essential for quick and effective work in pruning. Two or three good saws, a pair of pole shears, a pole saw, a 16-foot single ladder, a 40-foot extension ladder of light spruce or pine with hickory rungs, a good pruning knife, plenty of coal tar, a fire can to heat the tar, a pole brush, a small hand brush, and plenty of good rope comprise the principal equipment of the pruner. Suggestions for the safety of tree climbers. 1. Before climbing a tree, judge its general condition. The trunk of a tree that shows age disease or wood destroying insects generally has its branches in an equally unhealthy condition two the different kinds of wood naturally differ in their strength and elasticity the soft and brush woods need greater precautions than the strong and pliable ones the wood of all the poplars the ailanthus the silver maple and the chestnut catalpa and willow is either too soft or too brittle to be depended upon without special care the elm hickory and oak have strong flexible woods and are therefore safer than others the red oak is weaker than the other oaks the sycamore and beech have a tough cross-grained wood which is fairly strong the linden has a soft wood while the ash and gum though strong and flexible are apt to split three look out for a limb that shows fungus growths every fungus sends fibres into the main body of the limb which draws out its sap the interior of the branch then loses its strength and becomes like a powder outside appearances sometimes do not show the interior condition but one should regard a fungus as a danger sign 4 when a limb is full of holes or knots it generally indicates that borers have been working all kinds of galleries through it making it unsafe the silver maple and the sycamore maple are especially subject to borers which in many cases work on the underside of the branch so that the man in the tree looking down cannot see its dangerous condition 5 a dead limb with the bark falling off indicates that it died at least 3 months before and is therefore less safe than one with its bark tightly adhering to it 6 branches are more apt to snap on a frosty day when they are covered with an icy coating than on a warm summer day 7. Always use the pole saw and pole shears on the tips of long branches, and use the pole hook in removing dead branches of the ailanthus and other brittle trees where it would be too dangerous to reach them otherwise. 8. Be sure of the strength of a branch before tying an extension ladder to it. Study 4. Tree Repair Where trees have been properly cared for from their early start, wounds and cavities and their subsequent elaborate treatment have no place but where trees have been neglected or improperly cared for wounds and cavities are bound to occur and early treatment becomes a necessity there are two kinds of wounds on trees one surface wounds which do not extend beyond the inner bark and two deep wounds or cavities which may range from a small hole in a crotch to the hollow of an entire trunk surface wounds surface wounds are due to bruised bark and a tree thus injured can no longer produce the proper amount of foliage or remain healthy very long the reason for this becomes very apparent when one looks into the nature of the living or active tissue of a tree and notes how this tissue becomes affected by such injuries this living or active tissue is known as the cambium layer and is a thin tissue situated immediately under the bark it must completely envelop the stem root and branches of the trees the outer bark is a protective covering to this living layer while the entire interior wood tissue chiefly serves as a skeleton or support for the tree the cambium layer is the real active part of the tree it is the part which transmits the sap from the base of the tree to its crown it is the part which causes the tree to grow by formation of new cells piled up in the form of rings around the heart of the tree and it is also the part which prevents the entrance of insects and disease to the inner wood from this it is quite evident that any injury to the bark and consequently to this cambium layer alongside of it will not only cut off a portion of the sap supply and hinder the growth of the tree to an extent proportional to the size of the wound but will also expose the inner wood to the action of decay The wound may at first appear insignificant, but if neglected, it will soon commence to decay and thus to carry disease and insects into the tree. The tree then becomes hollow and dangerous, and its life is doomed. Injury to the cambium layer, resulting in surface wounds, may be due to the improper cutting of a branch, to the bite of a horse, to the cut of a knife, or the careless wielding of an axe, to the boring of an insect, or to the decay of a fungus disease. Whatever the cause, the remedy lies in cleaning out all decayed wood, removing the loose bark, and covering the exposed wood with coal tar. In cutting off the loose bark the edges should be made smooth before the coal tar is applied loose bark put back against a tree will never grow and will only tend to harbor insects and disease bandages too are hurtful because underneath the bandage disease will develop more rapidly than where the wound is exposed to sun and wind the application of tin or manure to wounds is often indulged in and is equally injurious to the tree the secret of all wound treatment is to keep the wound smooth clean to the live tissue and well covered with coal tar The chisel or gouge is the best tool to employ in this work. A sharp hawk-billed knife will be useful in cutting off the loose bark. Coal tar is the best material for covering wounds because it has both an antiseptic and protective effect on the wood tissue. Paint, which is very often used as a substitute for coal tar, is not as effective because the paint is apt to peel in time, thus allowing moisture and disease to enter the crevice between the paint and the wood. Cavities Deep wounds and cavities are generally the result of stubs that have been permitted to rot and fall out surface wounds allowed to decay will deepen in the course of time and produce cavities cavities in trees are especially susceptible to the attack of disease because in a cavity there is bound to exist an accumulation of moisture with this there is also considerable darkness and protection from wind and cold and these are all ideal conditions for the development of disease the successful application of a remedy in all cavity treatment hinges on this principal condition that all traces of disease shall be entirely eliminated before treatment is commenced fungus diseases attacking a cavity produce a mass of fibers known as the mycelium that penetrate the body of the tree or limb on which the cavity is located in eliminating disease from a cavity it is therefore essential to go beyond the mere decaying surface and to cut out all fungus fibers that radiate into the interior of the tree where these fibers have penetrated so deeply that it becomes impossible to remove every one of them the tree or limb thus affected had better be cut down The presence of the mycelium in wood tissue can readily be told by the discolored and disintegrated appearance of the wood. The filling in a cavity, moreover, should serve to prevent the accumulation of water, and where a cavity is perpendicular and so located that water can be drained off without the filling, the latter should be avoided and the cavity should merely be cleaned out and tarred where the disease can be entirely eliminated where the cavity is not too large and where a filling will serve the practical purpose of preventing the accumulation of moisture the work of filling should be resorted to filling should be done in the following manner first the interior should be thoroughly freed from diseased wood and insects the chisel gouge maul and knife are the tools and it is better to cut deep and remove every trace of decayed wood than it is to leave a smaller hole in an unhealthy state the inner surface of the cavity should then be covered with a coat of white lead paint which acts as a disinfectant and helps to hold the filling corrosive sublimate or bordeaux mixture may be used as a substitute for the white lead paint a coat of coal tar over the paint is the next step the cavity is then solidly packed with bricks stones and mortar and finished with a layer of cement at the mouth of the orifice this layer of cement should not be brought out to the same plane with the outer bark of the tree but should rather recede a little beyond the growing tissue cambrium layer which is situated immediately below the bark in this way the growing tissue will be enabled to roll over the cement and to cover the whole cavity if it be a small one or else to grow out sufficiently to overlap the filling and hold it as a frame holds a picture the cement is used in mixture with sand in the proportion of one-third of cement to two-thirds of sand when dry the outer layer of cement should be covered with coal tar to prevent cracking trees that tend to split certain species of trees like the linden and elm often tend to split generally in the crotch of several limbs and sometimes in a fissure along the trunk of the tree midwinter is the period when this usually occurs and timely action will save the tree the remedy lies in fastening together the various parts of the tree by means of bolts or chains A very injurious method of accomplishing this end is frequently resorted to where each of the branches is bound by an iron band and the bands are then joined by a bar the branches eventually outgrow the diameter of the bands causing the latter to cut through the bark of the limbs and to destroy them another method of bracing limbs together consists in running a single bolt through them and fastening each end of the bolt with a washer and nut this method is preferable to the first because it allows for the growth of the limbs in thickness A still better method, however, consists in using a bar composed of three parts. Each of the two branches has a short bolt passed through it horizontally, and the two short bolts are then connected by a third bar. This arrangement will shift all the pressure caused by the swaying of the limbs to the middle connecting bar. In case of a windstorm, the middle bar will be the one to bend, while the bolts which pass through the limbs will remain intact. The outer ends of the short bolts should have their washers and nuts slightly embedded in the wood of the tree so that the living tissue of the tree may eventually grow over them in such a way as to hold the bars firmly in place and to exclude moisture and disease the washers and nuts on the inner side of the limbs should also be embedded a chain is sometimes advantageously substituted for the middle section of the bar and in some cases when more than two branches have to be joined together a ring might take the place of the middle bar or chain Bolts on a tree detract considerably from its natural beauty, and should therefore be used only where they are absolutely necessary for the safety of the tree. They should be placed as high up in the tree as possible, without weakening the limbs. End of chapter 6